Are you looking to take the next step in your leadership journey? The Small Giants Leadership Academy is now enrolling the next class. Launching October 2021, this one-year program brings emerging talent together to grow their skills as purpose-driven leaders. Academy graduate Tori Carter-Conine said, The Leadership Academy showed me practical ways to weave our values into our everyday work. Living our values led to a stronger culture, which led to more efficient and effective outcomes. For Katie Spica, these lessons carry over immediately into her working life. She shared, I hold a monthly training session that passes along what I'm learning to the rest of the group, from emotional intelligence to visioning and more. Personally, I'm growing so much from this program, and I'm being intentional about adopting the traits of an inspiring leader. Does this sound like the right pathway for you or a rising star on your team? Visit www.smallgiants.org to learn more. Welcome to the Growing with Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. My guest today is Tori carter Canine, CEO of the American Society of Landscape Architects. Previously, Tori was the COO of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. It was during that time that Tori enrolled in and graduated from our Small Giants Leadership Academy. Welcome, Tori. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. How are you? I'm doing great. So nice to talk to you and uh, stay in touch with you after you graduated our program. And I uh, wanted to talk about this new initiative that we've got going. And, and as we were researching our new initiative that I'll talk about in a minute, the uh, first thing I thought about, first person I thought about was you, uh, just not only because of how we've gotten to know you over the years, but just knowing how genuine, authentic you would be and sharing your experiences with us. Uh, I, I talked to you earlier about how over the summer, I was very moved by the social justice justice movement that occurred as a result of the George Floyd murder. Um, I started to self-reflect about my own, you know, 30-year career and and realize that that uh, outside of just what's going on in society, that there are many people of color and minorities in uh, business who have really struggled to make their way in business, to move up the ladder, to succeed in business, in part, I assume, because of their color and uh, the challenges they've had there. And so we created a new program. Uh, it's called the LIFT Scholarship, L-I-F-T, which is Leaders for Inclusion, Fairness, and Transparency. And I'm personally going to fund this scholarship program to allow these leaders of color, primarily in underserved communities, uh, go through our program at no cost to them in a way so that we can help support equality in the workplace, equality in leadership, et cetera. And, and I realized in, in doing the research that um, it started with me, it started with us understanding, and I was very touched by a CEO who had said that in her company, she was very focused on diversity and inclusion, but that was just the numbers, kind of a checking the box exercise. She admitted that she had never really asked people of color in her company what it was like to be a person of color in her company and what challenges that created. And I realized that in my career, having probably thousands of employees over the years, that I didn't either. And while I didn't ever think that I acted in a discriminatory way, we all have kind of unconscious bias, et cetera. So I'm on a journey right now just to learn. And there's just no greater, greater source than you. Um, an African-American leader who's now a CEO of a company, had great success, but I'm sure it didn't come without challenges as well. So again, I really appreciate you being with us today. Wow. Thank you, Paul. Yes, I'm, I'm super excited to talk to you. Um, it has been a journey. And um, I'm also, I should say, I'm really excited about this new Lyft program that you started. Um, we need more people like you uh, to sort of grab the reins and, um, and, and do what they can to help move us along a little bit further. Uh, and so I love this journey that you're on uh, of self-reflection because I think you can, you know, you can be influential in helping other people um, consider the same, the same journey. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing. I just was so sad by this realization that we just haven't come as far along as a society or in business as we'd like. And and uh, so anything small that I could do to help move it along, uh, I'm committed to doing. So um, I, I want to really start taking you back to your childhood and uh, understand when you know racial identity was even important to you. Um, did you have any issues growing up? Uh, you know, any any early issues with, uh, with with your folks, with your school, early jobs, anything like that? When did this kind of impact your life in any way? You know, that's a really, really good question. And when you mentioned to me, when we first started talking about, um, you know, doing this podcast and I started, you know, reflecting and thinking about um, my life. I mean, I'm no, I'm no spring chicken anymore, right? And so <laughs> it took a few minutes to think like, oh, wow. Um, what was elementary school like? What was high school like? And, um, you know, there are a couple of stories that come to mind. Uh, I, I think I think the first time now looking back that I can, that I recognized a, a difference was probably um, in elementary school. Uh, I, I grew up in North Carolina in a really, really tiny town called uh, Hertford, North Carolina. And um, it's, you know, this was back in the early 80s. And, you know, it's a classic small town and, you know, where, you know, there is a, a more affluent part of town and a poorer part of town. And oftentimes that, you know, the, the line between that is unracial lines. Mm-hmm. And so I lived in a, a black neighborhood um, and the schools were integrated. And I remember um, I must have been, I don't know, I must have been seven or eight, maybe um, third fourth grade or something. And I, one of my best friends, I had friends of all races um, or, or black and white friends, I should say. The, the town was predominantly black and white. And I remember my best friend at the time uh, was, was this kid named Danny. He was a little, it was a blonde um, white kid. Uh, and he, we were like, we were inseparable. And, you know, when you're that age, you know, it's basically school during the week and somebody's birthday party on the weekends. Um, And uh, I remember, I mean, I was in my, my mother was, you know, always sort of um, hauling me back and forth on the weekends to different birthday parties, but I never, or or play dates. Right. And, but I never went to Danny's house and I, I never saw Danny outside of school, which is odd because we were, you know, joined at the hip uh, at school all day long. And, you know, at the time, I mean, it never, it, it didn't seem weird at the time, but reflecting back on it, it, it it's pretty odd, right? Considering that's all kids do <laughs> at that age. Yeah. And I remember this one, one situation where we were both, um, we happened to see each other outside of school and we were at the grocery store and I was with my mom and he was with his mother. And, you know, normally when he and I would see each other, it was, you know, it's like that commercial. I don't know if you've seen it where the little black boy and the little white boy see each other on opposites in, yeah. ends of the street, right? And they like yeah. run into each other and they have this huge embrace. I mean, it was literally like that every day. And this one time we actually saw each other outside of school, it wasn't like that. And I remember seeing him and kind of being excited to see him. And I could see that he was kind of, you know, like, hey, that's my buddy, Tori. But he resisted and he stood really, really close to his mom. And he kind of looked up at her, like, almost like looking for permission or, you know, it it was a very odd feeling. And I can see it in as broad as, as clear as day right now. And um, I said, Hey, Danny. And he kind of said hi, sort of sheepishly. And his mom never acknowledged me or my mom uh, never said hello. And she kind of, you know, quickly sort of pulled him away and, and sort of took him in the other direction. And I didn't understand it. And my mother, God bless her heart, um, who was a teacher, uh, I said, I said something like that was, I don't, I wonder why he did that. And she basically said, oh, you know, I'm sure maybe they're just in a rush or something. And she basically, you know, didn't make a big deal out of it for me. Um, but, you know, later in life, you know, I realized that that, that probably was, it was probably odd for Danny too, but it was probably some, some of what we hear about, right? About, you know, we learn these things at home. We learn to be, we learn about differences at home. We learn, we learn, uh, we were taught that um, some people are other than us. And, um, 
and or that we're better or to stay away from certain types of people. And again, like I said at the time, I didn't know what it was, but it did become clearer as I as I got older in my teenage years. Um, and it probably became clearer, quite frankly, when when things like Rodney King happened. You know, I was in my mid to late teens when that happened. Um, the O.J. Simpson trial was another point where it became kind of clear. You know, Rodney King was more like, oh, my God, this is there's there's an issue with, you know, black men and police. Um, and then with O.J. Simpson, it became I mean, the conversation around the whole thing was this sort of, you know, national dialogue around race that, you know, I had never really experienced before, apart from the Rodney King episode, but that was specifically about police. The O.J. Simpson trial seemed to go in in, in just uh, a myriad directions um, and sparked all kinds of conversation. And at that point, I was old enough to really have an opinion <laughs> about it. And I remember, Paul, I um, at the time I worked at, uh, I had two jobs. I worked at Foot Locker and I worked at Safeway. And my colleagues at Foot Locker was, were all um, uh, predominantly Black. Mm -hmm. So we would have conversations about the OJ trial there. And then I would go to Safeway, where it was a much more diverse, probably more... Um, Safeway, by the way, for those listening, is a grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, uh, and I, it was a much more diverse group, um, uh, more um, older uh, white managers... And I remember my colleagues um, just having a very, very different take on that um, and being really kind of mad about the notion that racism uh, was being discussed. And, you know, it, it was just very unique to me. And I felt my, I found myself for the first time feeling angry about the way it was being discussed um, in ways that I hadn't really before. Um, felt more confrontational about it, more defensive. Um, because the way it was being discussed is, you know, it, it was in it, those terms of, you know, this black man, this white woman. And, it, you know, I just, it really bothered me. And, you know, that, again, that was after the, the, the whole, you know, thing around OJ Simpson, uh, not, sorry, not OJ Simpson, the uh, Rodney King verdict, where we were still healing in many ways from that. And so those were the two sort of moments as a, as a teenager that really sort of made me feel like, okay, now I, I get it. Um, I, I'm, I'm a black male and that this is going to be not only different, a different experience just um, in life on my own, but also interacting with other people who are carrying these perceptions about what, what I'm going to be when I show up uh, with them. So, in, a, in some way, it's actually a good thing that you were exposed in the way that you were, uh, because you were at the beginning, it seems, in those stories, more of an observer uh, than things happening to you, right? You, th you saw what was happening in the world, in the news, you, you were at two different workplaces where people reacted differently. You saw how people thought about it that started to help you form your own opinions about the fact that you were part of uh, a group that's different or that there that these these problems exist out there in those early years before mm -hmm. heading out into the workplace did you have any personal experiences yourself you know i did i had one that kept comes to mind uh is you know the first time that i was uh pulled over by police uh and that was when i was i mean i was i was a teenager again um i can't remember if it was definitely after Rodney King, but but, uh, but I can't remember exactly. But I was certainly old enough um, to be in a car with my, my, my best friend, who was also Black. So we probably were 17, 16, 17 years old. Um, and, you know, we lived in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. And, you know, we're those kids. We were, like, in the band. We were the, like, dorks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. We were in the band. We We were, you know... Let our weekend was let's you know let's go shopping to the mall and stop at Burger King to get something to eat and like that that's what's making us cool right right and so I remember we were I think we were on our way back from uh, shopping in D.C. and we got pulled over um, by these two cops and I mean we were completely 
you know, mortified and, and, and scared. And I remember my friend who uh, was driving, I was in the passenger seat and he immediately, immediately got upset and was just, you know, why are they pulling us over? We didn't do anything. And, you know, I'm not getting out and this, that, and the other. And I was like, I was, I basically said to him, you need to calm down mm-hmm. and you need to uh, put your hand on the wheel. Don't say a word. Uh, and, you know, I immediately went into this and it was automatic. No one had taught me this. No one had told me this, except, you know, those experiences of seeing this sort of happen, right. in 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 the news and, um, and so he, the cops came up to us, uh, one on each side and, you know, they ended up asking my friend to get out of the car and I could hear the walkie talkie of the officer to my, on my side. Uh, and after my friend got out of the car and, you know, he had to put his hands on, uh, on the, on the trunk of the car, on the side of the car. And, um, you know, they were talking, they were describing these uh, individuals they were looking for. And all they could tell us was that we fit, we, we fit the description. There was a, I think there was a robbery or something. And, you know, the car we were driving fit the description. And, you know, my friend is still more animated than he should be, but I was still in the car and they were, you know, poking, looking all around the back seat and so forth. We are absolutely nervous. I can still feel like, you know, how shaken I was nervous about being um, asked to get out of the car. But right before I was going to be asked to get out of the car, I could hear on the walkie talkie, the officer, someone said, you know, the guys are, it's, it's, it's two black men. So that was the only thing that of the description that we fit, right? (laughs) Um, Everything else was different. The car they they described, like, it would be like saying, you know, we were driving a, a 57 station wagon and the people who they were looking for were in a 2000, you know, Hummer, you know, like completely different, had nothing, nothing similar to what we were, we were, we were in. Uh, they were dressed differently from the way they were describing it, but we just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And we happened to be two black guys uh, who were young uh, mm-hmm. in the vicinity. So ultimately they let us go, um, but they were so hostile towards us. Um, and again, we're just kids. We're literally just kids who had just come from the mall and getting something to eat on our way home. And that kind of experience, um, you know, still sits with me to this day. And, and so when I see these things happening, you know, as recent as a couple of days ago, you know, th- that's the kind of, you ask what it's like, that's what it's like. You know, it, 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 it's those early experiences that, that shape, um, how we have to behave uh, throughout our lives. That was 30, 30, 30 plus years ago. That's really something. It, it, it's also kind of fascinating how different you and your friend reacted to it. And uh, I don't know how, if at all, that played into how the officers treated you. Um, but uh, it's clear that um, you were pulled over just because you were black, right? It, it not, nothing else kind of matched, and so uh, you know that that's enough to just say you know why uh, you know this isn't right. But the um, uh, you know I, I think it's it's at least understandable how people react to it differently. You're you're coming from a sense of okay, I know what could happen here, so I'm just going to be calm and collected. And your friend is already has anger inside him for uh, what is happening that shouldn't be happening. And that Mm -hmm. impacts his behavior as well. Um, And uh, like you said, it's just, it's hard to, it makes my stomach turn a little bit, just thinking about being in that position. And, uh, you know, I've been pulled over plenty of times and, you know, I I get nervous too, but, um, but you feel like, uh, you're going to get at least treated with some respect for w- what's going on. So, yeah, I, those early uh, those early experiences clearly have impacted how how you feel, um, and uh, that stays with you, of course, to this day. As you started out in your career, Tori, mm-hmm. when did you 
begin to think that the color of your skin might have anything to do with your climbing up the ladder, so to speak, or, or pursuing uh, whatever you did in your career in business? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, I certainly had glimpses of it, Paul, uh, early on. I mean, I first, I, I started my, my first sort of office job, if you will, at the age of 20. Uh, and so I was still going to college and, um, and I got my first, like I said, office job. I was, it was so um, basic that it was, my, my title was bookkeeper. Like I didn't even have a, it was that general, right? <laughs> um, whatever we give you, you'll do it. And, uh, but it was for, um, it was for an association. And so, you know, they do these kinds of big conventions and those kinds of things where you bring a whole lot of people together and we did an annual show uh, and I got to go on it, right? I got to go to this big show and um, I worked the bookstore and, you know, as the bookkeeper, <laughs> but, you know, we had probably had, you know, 8,000 or so people who would attend our conference and, you know, people would come and go uh, into this bookstore. And I remember this one example where uh, this gentleman walked in, it was a security show, I should add it. That, and that's relevant because this guy that came in, I think had some sort of security dog or something that he sort of walked into the, the, the bookstore area. And, and so he walked in and my colleagues who, um, this is also relevant that I'm, I think I'm the only black person uh, working in this particular space, certainly the only black man. And uh, my other colleagues are mainly women uh, and all white women. And, you know, this guy brings this beautiful black lab in and he walks in and the, he walks over kind of around us and we all greet him. But the, my colleagues ran over to him and, and sort of said, you know, like, oh, my God, this dog is amazing. We're fawning over the dog. And I then joined them. And when I walked over to him, uh, he said something to the effect of, you know, be careful. Um, you should be a little careful around him, uh, because the dog, because uh, he just um, he just sort of had an episode with another black guy uh, a few minutes ago um, who approached him. And so I wouldn't want anything uh, to happen, something to that effect. And I thought, OK, that's really, really strange. But. You know, it's in those moments, right? And I'm, I'm sharing this with you because this happens all the time and it happens frequently throughout my career. But this is where I remember it happening first, where in that moment, I have to decide, okay, I can either completely tear the situation up, right? Explode <laughs> on this guy and then be the angry black dude. Or I could just choose to laugh and ha 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 right take it in take all of that in and just let it go which is also not um not good uh i could walk away um but that all of that has to sort of be contemplated in a in real time uh to figure out like how am i gonna react to this and so i ended up basically continuing to sort of talk and play with this dog and i basically said to the dog what I wanted to say to the, his, his owner. And I said, Oh, you know, better, you, you can differentiate between uh, two different people. You don't, you don't see all people as the same. And uh, the guy never said anything. We kind of finished playing with the dog and we all kind of walked away. And my colleagues, again, all white colleagues, they were mortified. Um, and they said to me, Oh my God, I can't believe this guy said this to you. Um, what a jerk. And they're really, really annoyed by it. And for me, it was just like, um, yeah, he said it. <laughs> and and uh, he probably, this is, this is just one example of perhaps how he treats other people. Um, who else, God knows who else he said this to in the, in the showroom uh, and affected people's experience here. But they were, they were mortified at hearing it, but they really didn't even, even have full context as to the kind of like, you know, real kind of stress that, a, that I'm in to have to figure out how to react to it. Um, because had I not reacted the way I did, then it would have been, not only would I have been uh, sort of the victim of this sort of thing, but I would have also been, you know, characterized as angry or perhaps overreacting. 
which is another thing that I think a lot of um, black professionals kind of have to sort of weigh uh, throughout their careers is when to react, when to not react, when to educate, when to um, make others feel better about their behavior. It's, it's really, it's really taxing. Oh, I could imagine. Uh, I, I mean, thank goodness the, the women in the, that, you know, w- witnessed all this were supportive of you during that time. It's obviously, it says a lot about your sensibilities, the way you handle a situation like that. And um, I hope he heard you talking to the dog <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right. and maybe you sent your message that way. Um, but in your, you know, using your own words, have you ever played the angry black man? Yes. Oh, yes. Um, because sometimes uh, you, you, you just get tired of um, the effort that it takes to excuse or bring people along or help somebody else uh, feel better about their bad behavior or work through their bad behavior. So, yeah, there have been times where I have had to um, be more direct. And in fact, um, <laughs> that, that, that example happened probably I mean, early in my career, but the same kind of thing happened in my personal life probably about, I don't know, four or five years ago with friends, like people who are supposed to be friends and neighbors. But we were sitting on our porch, Paul, on like a, probably a July, August night, just kind of hanging out, having uh, some beers on my porch uh, at our house. And, and this guy walks by with, again, this, I don't know what it is about this dog thing. I don't understand, right? Um, I now know that there is this, apparently there's this perception that, you know, some, some dogs don't like people because of their skin color. Uh, it's, 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 it's bogus and weird to me, but there, there are people who believe these things. Um, so anyway, we're sitting on our porch, we're hanging out, having beers, and um, some, somebody walks by with a dog and the dog barks at uh, a black person walking by. And one of my neighbors, all, all of these neighbors are white. And one of them says, you know, makes this sort of off color joke uh, that, oh, well, you know, dogs don't like dogs don't like black people anyway. So he the guy hope that guy can run. Right. And I and I said, uh. thinking, OK, I'm on my porch. <laughs> these are people who are supposed to be my friends. Uh, do I, again, same kind of thing, right? Do you say something? Do you ruin the good time? And I just, I, I ended up saying like, why, why the hell would you say that? Like, that's not funny. Like, that's not, that's not okay. Um, and, 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 you know, I said, you know, I don't make those kinds of comments about white people at all. Like, if you ever heard me say anything like that, anything remotely close to that, and it did buzz, it did kill the buzz, and there was some defensiveness. And then we got into, you know, a pretty good argument um, to the point where, you know, they left uh, mm. and went home. Now, you know, a couple of days later, you know, the apologies came and um, and that's not what I meant and helped me understand and those kinds of things. Um, but as I told them, I said, you know, you just can't. No one should have to sort of make those choices all of the time. Right. And if I got to do it at work, I sure as hell don't want to have to do it in my own personal life, at my own home, with people I call friends. Yeah, uh, that that was really telling that uh, you'd had that experience um, probably plenty of times being out and about at work. Then you're with the people that are close to you that you trust and you realize at that level of... Uh, you know, unconscious or unconscious bias is there and kind of came out. And, um, and again, I'm happy that even if it took a day or two that uh, they came back and apologized and maybe came out better in terms of what they learned as a result. But I think what the point you're making is that, that, as you said to me earlier, it's exhausting to be put in this position. And every time you have to make the choice for how, how you react. Let's take a quick break. As a leader, I value responsiveness. In fact, it's one of the values of the Small Giants community. When it comes to email, crowded and disorganized inboxes can get in the way of being responsive to the people who matter most. 
I was so happy to learn that the team at Basecamp, a 2017 Forbes Small Giants Award winner, has transformed email with their new product called Hey. Hey gives you back control of your inbox with features you never knew you needed, but you won't want to live without. The first time you receive an email from someone, you get to decide exactly what to do with it. You can add it to your inbox full of all the important stuff, your feed for casual reads, or your paper trail for receipts and other transactions. Or you can decide not to receive emails from that person. There's a handy reply later feature, so you never miss getting back to someone, even if you can't tackle it right that second. Hey also makes it easy to edit email thread subject lines into something helpful so you don't have to sift through long message threads that have evolved light years away from the original subject. Hey blocks spyware, makes attachments easy to find, and lets you send large files. Visit hey.com now to start a 14-day trial. That's H-E-Y.com for a 14-day free trial. And now back to the podcast. If you think about the experience you had, multiple jobs and good success and continuing Mm -hmm. to grow in your career, are there experiences where you felt uh, being a black man actually held you back from many opportunities or uh, things like that? You know, there's, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell. You know, sometimes it's hard to tell how, because I think, I think, um, I think people have gotten better at not being so overt or explicit in some ways uh, about, um, um, you know, we don't want, you know, we don't think a black person or a black man can do this or that. Um, I will tell you that um, I do remember, I, I think it's kept me from, maybe perhaps getting to um, promotions or things like that faster. I think I've had to sort of perform consistently and sort of uh, be, be the app, you know, basically make it as safe as possible. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, To say yes to either, you know, moving me up or um, giving me an opportunity. Um, and one example that comes to mind is I remember I got, I got this position at, um, it was a public company. It was a big transportation company. And, uh, I was, I was going to be the, uh, controller, uh, for this huge new region, huge new contract we got. And, uh, and it, you know, it's a $250 million contract, um, huge job. And, my a colleague of mine who worked at a neighboring uh, on a neighboring regional contract. We, she and I started at the same time, and but my contract is bigger, right? And it's it's a lot of responsibility, and I basically have to. It's basically a startup, right? It's a whole new sort of division of work that we're starting, and it required both of us to go to um, one of the headquarter offices for for training right because we're the regional office so we had to go to one of the headquarters office to get like you know all the sort of standard ops of the organization and and just kind of get up to speed and so she and i went she was wonderful um but and she was a white woman and uh we got along great and you know it was in um it was in, oh gosh, I can't think of the name of the town, but it was in Iowa, like this really, really rural part of Iowa, random. I don't know why this headquarters office was in this part of Iowa. Um, but uh, so we went to this training and I remember so clearly, um, these are the little things that folks might hear this and say, oh, that doesn't sound like a big deal. But it in fact is a huge deal. Um, we were sitting there um, in this small, in this room with with these two men who were, um, you know, executives at the national office and they, they're two white guys. And mind you on paper, I'm much more qualified than my colleague who's going with me. Right. Um, at this point I have two degrees, uh, a lot more experience and the contract is bigger. So you think that they would be much more concerned and interested in, um, hearing what I, what, what my perspective is hearing how I, I plan to be successful. What do I need in the in the new job to get this 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 new region up and running, et cetera, et cetera? And the entire time, I'm not kidding, Paul. The entire time we're sitting there, 
every, the entire focus was on her. Um, and I would say something and it was sort of quickly either dismissed or um, uh, pacified, if you will. It was just, it was just a completely different interaction. You would think that I just, I just fell off the turnip truck is what, what my, um, what my grandmother would say from the South. Uh, and, and this, this other person, this woman was sitting there and getting, you know, all kinds of good feedback, all kinds of, uh, you know, um, confidence and support. Um, no, no question she could ask would be, um, sort of written off or, or, um, uh, considered too, 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 um, simple. And she was asking some pretty simple things. And, and again, this sounds like uh, not, so be, uh, not so big of a deal, but you know, in those moments where you're like, wait a minute now, I, I'm, I'm just as qualified, maybe even more qualified, and you're not even seeing me, right? I'm, I'm fine, I finally get here, got the job, um, and, you, and it's, wh why? Why does it have to be that way? And there's no other, there's no other explanation that I can think of um, for why you would treat two professionals that differently when one has more responsibility than the other. And that made you feel in that moment that it was because you were black. Yes, uh, I did. I, and, you know, and part of that was like, okay, um, the, <laughs> uh, my experience in that organization um, leading up to that was that it was this kind of typical structure where upper management is, is predominantly white men and the folks were, the, the, this was a, a bus company, right? And so the drivers were all minorities mm -hmm. uh, who were working in my role. Um, even most of them were predominantly white. Um, there's, um, and just the dynamic of how the organization was structured and how the which employees were at the top and which employees were sort of um, on the ground, if you will. It, there was already this 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 odd structure dynamic, if you will, that existed. And so then, and that that's in you know these metropolitan areas, right? That's in the Washington D.C. area and surrounding areas where the two my colleague and I are working. So then we go to Iowa, <laughs> and where there are no minorities in this in this small town, right? Yeah. And we have these these two probably would describe themselves as very nice guys who just perhaps don't have any experience, um, maybe never work with um, a black guy who has been hired to run one of the, and, and manage one of the biggest contracts, their newest contract. Um, they didn't have that experience before, right? So there's some skepticism inherent in all of that. But then on top of that, not having, you know, me show up as, a guy that looked like them, that they could have confidence who could do this. Um, I have no doubt that they added to it. Yeah. I heard a, a, a leader, a next generation leader um, involved in the small giants community who said that in his career as a black person growing up, he said, if you were white, you could get a promotion based on potential. If you were black, you would only get a promotion if you truly earned it. And that really struck me. And, and you kind of alluded to that by said, you know, I, I had to make it perfectly easy for them to promote me. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a really uh, sad state of affairs, if, if that's true. Yes. And to, here's the thing, just to sort of expand on that point that... Um, uh, our colleague mentioned, uh, shared like the, the thing about that is, you know, it is in fact true. You know, you kind of, you have to check every box sometimes twice. Um, and, but that kind of, that sort of, uh, that's the end of it, right? That's the end of the process, but it starts way before that, because then what that does, it just, it, because it, it, it makes, it makes your approach to even, applying or wanting to do the next thing 
it, it puts you a little bit behind, right? Because you then begin to sort of second guess, you know, am I, mm-hmm. am I really ready? Am I really qualified? Whereas, and, and, and that sort of, that starts at a young age too, right? Where you just sort of are, where I just think, you know, I, I don't know this for everyone. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I want to be careful not to assume that every you know little white boy is getting the same message. Right. But there is a, a particular, um, in, in society, you know, I think, I think white men just sort of feel like, you know, I, I can do anything, <laughs> you know, um, there are examples of successful, uh, white men, uh, everywhere. And, and I just, I, I feel like that sort of, you know, I, I, white guys will look at an application, a job description and, and, and see, you know, the first three lines and, and, and say, yeah, I can do that. And blast their way and say, I'm going to apply. You should hire me. It comes with a certain confidence and swagger. And that goes a long way, right? They get the position and then, and then it just sort of steamrolls from there. Whereas I do know that for, for people like myself, we double check, right? We go line by line in that job description to make sure that everything in that job, we either know we can do or have experience doing. Because I've had experiences where, you know, that you know, the one thing that you don't, the one box you don't check or the one, one part of the position that, you know, you know, you can grow into is, is the thing that is completely uh, focused in on in a process. Yeah. Almost gives them an out if they want it. Right. If that's, if that's kind of what's behind um, their evaluation. I, it also seems though, that with people like you, that this drives you to be even uh more successful, right? Or, you know, not to use the anger, but even if you have the anger inside, you use it to drive you to work even harder and to prove that, you know, what you can do. And and that's resulted in you having a really great level of success where now we're just, we were so happy last year when you got your first job as a CEO and nobody was more qualified to do it than you. And, uh, and it's wonderful to see you in that position today. And, you know, you're still young and you've got a long career ahead of you. Um, you know, how did you overcome this to get to where you are today? So interesting. That's a good question. Um, and it's a couple of things. I mean, I think I know that it starts with, um, you know, full circle back to the, the story we started with. Right. I told you about my mother. Uh, in that grocery store and how she responded, right? It, it goes absolutely back to um, my mom, grandmother, uncle, aunt, uh, who raised me, basically telling me, since I can remember, that I can do anything I want, uh, and having the highest expectations of me. Um, you know, I got my first B, Paul, I think, when I was in the seventh or eighth grade, and I was mortified, <laughs> right? Like, that kind of house I grew up in. And I grew up with a single mother uh, and grandmother who primarily raised me. Um, that didn't matter to them like that. The, so this whole, the, all the narrative that is often, that, that, that is often sort of um, painted or created around um, little black boys who come from poor communities uh, and have single parents, they never, they never even blinked the circumstances that we had uh, grow, that I had growing up or, you know, the fact that we were poor and so forth, it, it, it never uh, an option for me not to, to be the best, right. And that I could be, and they, they just, we're not going to have it any other way. And so it starts with that. That's the, that's the foundation for me. Um, and then I think there is some truth. There's a lot of truth of what you said that, you know, when I have encountered the doubters or the people who uh, are skeptical, um, I, I absolutely use that as a, all right, uh, uh, wait and see. You'll see. Mm. <laughs> um, there's definitely that. Well, thanks. Thanks, mom and grandma, for um, making that part of who you are. Uh, this is such a hot topic right now, Tori. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I wonder why people are so afraid to talk about it. Um, I, I, 
I, I just don't know. I'm, um, I personally am feel very comfortable talking about it, maybe because just like you, my best friend in elementary school was a black kid and, and I went to a very integrated high school. And, and uh, so I, I was exposed to uh, kind of society in ways that made, maybe made me more aware or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, but today uh, you, you did indicate things are maybe a little bit better, but, but especially when it comes to business and work and equality and like, why, why don't we want to talk about this? Oh, Lord. I mean, we could do like two more podcasts on this mm -hmm. question. <laughs> um, but I think, um, and I've been thinking about this a lot uh, over the last year um, because it has risen um, to kind of the top of our discourse uh, here over the last year. I mean, since, since, I mean, George Floyd's murder um, definitely got us all, got all, all of our attention kind of collectively at the same time in a way that is interesting and odd to me in some ways, because, you know, months and weeks before his murder, there were, you know, other black Americans who were also killed and, um, or, you know, sort of hunted down in Georgia, Ahmaud Arbery, jogging down the street. I mean, so the, these events, it, George Floyd wasn't, certainly wasn't the first even last year, but it did, it just sort of had this sort of global um, moment for all of us where we kind of stopped, reflected a little bit. And I think to your question of why we are afraid to talk about it, I, I don't know the entire answer, but I think part of it is, has to do with um, the fact that our most integrated moments in life right now are at work. And, but we go to work and to your point, businesses have made a lot of progress. You go to work and you see people from all kinds of backgrounds uh, and you develop friendships and you, with your colleagues of different races and so forth. But then we oftentimes go back home to our very segregated neighborhoods. Yeah. Uh, and we go back home to our families who are not particularly integrated. Right. And so we have these moments and I think that's why you're seeing business um, kind of taking a much more prominent role in creating the space for that dialogue and speaking up um, in terms of um, social justice issues, because that's the moment that we all kind of have an opportunity together to actually have the conversation because it's not happening in the way it needs to happen at home mm -hmm. because you go back to your, you know, your sort of uh, monolithic, uh, you know, it's an all-white household, it's an all-black household, what have you. Um, and I think, you know, particularly for um, uh, even my own white friends, I've had conversations like that, that where I ask them, you know, when you're having these, you know, Thanksgiving moments or you're with your family and somebody says something crazy, you know, it's not, it's not okay to just say, or, or to say nothing, or even to say to yourself, well, I don't believe that, but I don't want to upset the family. I mean, at some point, those conversations that are perhaps happening in the workplace, when we get together, right? And you, you know, to your black colleague, you would say, oh my God, this is horrible. I can't believe this is happening. That's got to come home, right? That's got to be said to your families. That's got to be said on the golf course when you're with your buddy, and you're trying to close that sales deal. Like, so there's got to be some risk and some, some risk taking amongst white folks when they're not around black people to have conversations with other white people um, about these things. Um, because it's not, it's not enough to just say that I'm good and I don't feel this way. And those comments don't reflect me because the person, if, if the person who's saying it doesn't have anything that they could perhaps lose, um, be it a friendship or relationship or something of that nature that's important to them, because you don't say anything, then it's never going to change, right? Um, it's never going to change in to the magnitude that we really need it to change for us to really feel like in all parts of our life, our lives, we're making progress. And I think that's why you're seeing it happen more in the workplace is because that's really the only place now where we we really come together other than sporting events and nobody really, really wants to talk about these kinds of things when you're, you know, at a, at a football game or a basketball game, right. You want to have a good time. And so really it's up to business to sort of make sure that these things are 
we're both having the conversation and we're doing everything we can to move the needle on these challenges. Totally agree. That's such an important point about bringing it home. Uh, even, even one of our women black leaders uh, said the other day that, uh, that at work, actually, she's, it's quite integrated and they talk about this kind of stuff a lot, but she goes home to her, her family, uh, you know, all African-Americans and, and they don't even, it's like a different world. And, the, mm-hmm. the, and they don't talk about it at all. And so there's a kind of a comfort there that maybe those of us that are white just feel comfortable going home to our white world and the, uh, you know, those that are not go home to their world. And, and it's a little bit more challenging because you're, you're not even placed in that situation. Um, so the fact that business can lead the way, I think is a really uh, great point. Um, and we, need to, we do need to bring this home. How do we move the, the discussion beyond diversity to understanding, right? So it's, it's uh, lots of companies today, particularly big public companies, well, we've got these diversity initiatives and this percentage of our, our employees are black or of color. And you know, that's all well and good. And I think maybe that's the start, but how do we encourage more of these conversations that lead us to understand what it means to be different? Ooh, um, I, I, I firmly in my heart believe that it, 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 it requires um, more listening than perhaps conversation. Mm. Um, because it's complicated. It is so, and it's, um, it's, it's complicated and it's really, really simple. Because ultimately, in, in some ways, it comes down to others the way you treat it with the added context of that other person uh you that other person has a, an added layer of um of challenge uh and um maybe a different is perceived by society differently and so it's you know i want to treat that person with respect and dignity and i have to understand that even if even if that's my intent that person is coming is has a whole different experience than i do Right. And so uh, you got to you got to go that extra step. And some people I don't think really realize or or feel like they should have to do that. Quite frankly, Mm -hmm. Uh, I think some people feel like, you know, uh, I I shouldn't have to 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 sort of. Overprove to you that I'm interested in uh, your perspective, I don't want to have to acknowledge your difference and, 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 and learn from you. Uh, and they don't perhaps get that taking that extra step. Yeah. Could actually lead the business to a better outcome. Right. There's sort of an arrogance that's built in there and, uh, they don't want to take the time and energy, um, when actually that would lead to better outcomes and better relationships. I love that, um, listening as we close up here, Tori, I, I want to ask your, advice, what advice would you give first other leaders of color that uh, are moving along in their career? And secondly, what would you say to us white folks about how we can listen more and understand? Um, I guess to, to uh, um, emerging uh, black professionals um, and, and, and seasoned ones, um, I think at some point we realize we've got to find other other people who are like us in these roles to talk to mm-hmm. because it, because um you know you just need to speak to someone sometimes and let the let all of that responsibility all of that feeling that you have to show up in the right way and you know you've got to be you know the ceo or whatever that senior position is that you've got to sort of carry all of this responsibility um, and kind of be perfect, right? That sort of like double checking all the boxes. You need a you need a space, um, and you need a, a circle of people uh, that you can go to, where you don't have to do that. Um, where where they understand, and you don't have to prove it, right? You don't have to prove that this thing happened and this experience is real. Um, and when you know you, I've told you this story before, Paul. You know when you're sitting in a meeting and 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 you know, you're the most senior person in the room, 
and the folks on the other side of the of the table won't even make eye contact with you and they're making they're sort of looking to your white junior colleagues for affirmation and and um uh the green light on projects and things right you know those kinds of things happen all the time and sometimes you think you're crazy right <laughs> because and you so you need to find uh people, other black people, other minorities, BIPOC mm-hmm. folks, who you can say, you know, I can't, this thing happens and, you know, it's exhausting and damn, I wish, I, I just wish it didn't have to be this way. And they get it. Right. And there's no convincing. There's no, but are you sure? Or maybe this, or maybe, no, it happened. Yeah. Right. And, and you just, so I think the, the, the one thing I would say, and I wish I had figured this out earlier is um, you, you need you need a, a close knit group of people that you can just let it all out with, um, because you got to sort of gear yourself up back up for the next time where you know you're in this this environment where the guy walks up to you with a dog and says the dog doesn't like black people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. and so they then again say, all right, you know I'm not going to overreact um, because the last thing I'll say, Paul is. There is this responsibility that I think black leaders carry. I know I do um, to show up in the right way for other black leaders to have an opportunity to also be CEOs and also be executives, because I don't want my sort of lapse of judgment to impact and, and, and be the one example that, you know, that hiring manager or colleague that I, that I or at another organization or um, uh, a contemporary has that ruins their the opportunity for another black person to move up. And so there's this, this responsibility that you carry that, you know, I gotta be right because I'm kind of representing all black people, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Cause I'm probably the only one in the room. And so that's what I would say to my black um, uh, contemporaries. I think to, to white folks, uh, and again, you know, you know, one of the reasons I, I didn't add this earlier, but part of why I've been able to sort of push through is I've, I've had some, some white folks who've been really, really great and supportive and are part of that, that, um, that support system that I've, that I've, uh, benefited from. Right. Mm-hmm. There's some, there's a lot of white people who've helped me along the way. Uh, and, um, and I would say to, to white, white people who want to, uh, do better or help is have conversations with those amongst yourselves quite frankly um we need more white people and it's back to my point about taking these conversations home we need more of the white people who helped me along the way um like yourself paul uh like you're doing to have more you know difficult conversations with other white people uh and you know um, uh I I hope my father-in-law who who might listen to this um <laughs> doesn't mind me sharing this but you know, uh, you know, my husband is white. And so, um, his, his dad asked us, uh, recently, I think it was shortly after George Floyd, he and his mom, he, and my, my father and mother-in-law asked, you know, what can we do to be helpful? Uh, we want to, we want to do something. Right. And I said, here's what you can do. So next time you're on the tennis court, next time you are, um, in any environment where someone, you know, makes a comment, that doesn't quite sit right with you say something right and you don't have to ruin their day you don't have to you know castigate them and call them you know the the worst names in the book but you know raise it to their consciousness um we can't sort of just be casual about these things anymore um and people need to know that it's not okay to make these comments not just that it's not okay to make them publicly and it's not okay to make them in the workplace anymore. And it's not okay to um, perhaps even now on social media to say them, but you can't say them amongst people who look like you, who you think are going to be okay with it. Yeah. They brought back a story, uh, an experience I had too, where a woman that I worked with on a nonprofit board, just having a conversation one day and I said something I don't even remember what it was, but she right right away called me on it. Like that's that's really not appropriate, and and I felt uh, embarrassed in the moment with without any intention to you know. But it was just an awakening for me. 
uh, mm-hmm. to to hear that from her and and um and understand and you make such an important point i mean one is it's listening to people like you to understand what the experience like is like but we're not going to make it better until we talk to each other to other white people uh, to see what their experiences are, to bring this out into the open. We had a, a group in our current leadership academy where we brought this topic up. And I was actually surprised at how many people, particularly the white leaders, had not even, because they're smaller companies, even this discussion didn't come up at all, either in their companies right. or at home. Um, and 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 um, and so they've just been sort of insulated their whole lives from this topic. And therefore, they have some of these unconscious biases, and then they're open to admitting that. But unless right. we have those conversations with each other, uh, we're not going to make progress. And and I hope, and, and this has just been incredible, Tori, to talk to you, to listen to the stories, to understand, um, to, to have kind of the emotion that... I feel just trying to understand the journey that you've had. And look, you've you've done really well. You'll continue to do, to do well. Um, but we're all we're all a, f- a function of how we were raised, um, how we grew up, the experiences we've had, and yours have shaped you in a way. Thanks to to Mama, that have um, uh, really guided you along in your life. I want to just reflect on a couple of things that you said. Um, and how they've impacted me. Uh, that experience with Danny, you know, your best friend, and just not being able to get that hug that you would have had was just so telling. Uh, but it was also even more impactful to understand that where that came from. You know, he wanted to do it, but you'd like you'd love to get in the mind or understand his mom and and how he was being raised, and 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 it was clear how you were being raised by the way your mom approached that situation. Uh, that your parents taught you pretty early that 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 there were differences, but they uh, you were told by your mom, your your aunt, your grandma, you know, you can do anything. Um, it was it was sort of you're observing the world, whether it was the Rodney King, O.J. Simpson, or whether it was the difference in your employment at Foot Locker versus Safeway. That this stuff happens, and um, and it formed your own opinions and. Um, while I'm sure there were times where there was a lot of anger inside, you took this learning from your mom as a way to decide how you were going to approach it. And I think the unfortunate thing is that you've had to make these decisions all your life. And you could tell tons of stories, I'm sure, where you've had to make this decision. And, and luckily, you've been on the side of doing it rationally and and telling that Black Lab directly, hey, I get it. You and I get it. You know better. Um, and mm-hmm. I just, I, I wish, you know, the owner would know better. Um, but the the fact that, that you have to balance how you react each time. Um, and uh, and yet I, I see that, that there's uh, hope and optimism where people that are put in this position or are in it naturally that take the approach that you've taken can really continue to make something of their relationships, make them stronger, can, can be successful in business. Uh, and, and it made you even more driven based on the challenges that you had. Um, you know, I, to have, you have to say and think to colleagues sitting across the table, why don't you see me? Uh, that's just incredible to me, right? I never would have even thought about it that way. When you first told me that story, it was just really striking. It does make you second guess yourself. In your case, it drove you. In other cases, it people would go in the other direction. And that's what's just so uh, hard. Uh, I think you talked about this opportunity that we have at work where we're put in the positions that increasingly we're in integrated workplaces, which is great that we build relationships with people that we enjoy, we have respect, but we got to bring those conversations home and have them openly as uncomfortable as that might be. Um, And I love finally your advice to uh, leaders of color to say, look, um, find people like you who you can talk to because that's where you're going to understand the life experiences you're having are not atypical and I can help you through that. And it's no different than a mentor of any type, whether they're of mm-hmm. color or they're not of color. It's like, we want to find people 
who we have similarities with in philosophy and the way we look, whatever it is that we can talk to. And I just think that that's such a, a, a strong statement in, in life and in business for sure. Uh, and, and, you know, for those of us that are, uh, that are white, that have, you know, lived a life that will be maybe haven't had these kinds of challenges where we've had a sense of privilege in the, in, in our life and, and in growing up in business that, um, it's one thing to understand what you've gone through, Tori. It's another thing to pull aside another group of white leaders and say, you know what, let's talk about this. Maybe, maybe we don't need to talk about this to get something done. Maybe this isn't a topic that would show up on our agenda, but we need to make the time and space for it. And I, and I do think that when we open up that way to each other, we're going to make great progress. So, uh, what a wonderful opportunity just to listen to, to you. I congratulate you on all your success. Uh, that will only continue, Tori. And, and uh, thanks for helping me and our audience understand so that we can all be a little bit better going forward. Absolutely, Paul. Thank you for, for inviting me to share some of these stories and, and, um, and for genuinely being interested and for listening. And sharing. And so I'm, I'm very thankful. You know, I think the world of you and Small Giants community. Um, so whenever, whenever you need me, I'm here. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about purpose-driven leadership, go to smallgiants.org or follow us on Twitter at Small Giants Buzz. Until next time. 